Welcome, everybody. This is the third episode of our podcast, A Priest, A Minister, and A Rabbi Walk Into a Bar. And we are here at Hot Monk Tavern in Novato, California. We're having a few beers and lemonade. And this is a great place to visit if you're in the area in Novato, California. We're just here to take a lighthearted look at religion. Religion, of course, is serious, but it doesn't mean we have to take ourselves too seriously, Absolutely. right? So... We're just here to talk about interesting stuff. Last time we talked about hell. Very interesting. We called that hell no, we're, we won't go. <laughs> and today we're talking about rules, rules, and more rules. Is religion really about rules? Mm. And we have a Catholic and we have a Jew. And I don't know who competes for more rules. What do you think? We have a lot of rules. I like how he didn't even include me. Yeah. I'm not I'm not even in the running as a Protestant. Oh, you're all about love. All about We're about love. love too. Yeah, I guess so. Love. We love the rules. We do sometimes. <laughs> but I think we should start with Naomi. Okay. Oi. Because a lot of the rules really in both the Jewish and Christian traditions originate in the Torah. That's right. Yeah. So what's that about? Why Why are there so many rules? How many rules are they? The, why are they there? The why? I don't know why. <laughs> because God said so. Um, I mean, our tradition, you know, I'm from a more liberal arm of Judaism, mm -hmm. but um, our tradition teaches that these rules came from God. Mm -hmm. um, doing the math, there are 613 commandments in the Torah. Um, That's a lot. It's a lot. Although if I were to ask you number you, 12. That looks like you have about 2 billion in that well, book Well, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. <laughs> um, and we love numbers. So, of mm -hmm. course, the rabbis were like, well, how many positive commandments and how many negative commandments? Mm -hmm. So, What's a positive commandment? A positive commandment is if you find a donkey on the side of a road and you know it belongs to somebody, you should find the owner and return it to them. So something you should do. Something, something you, you do. do. Uh -huh. You should do this. Whereas a negative commandment would be don't kill, don't steal, don't covet. So you should <laughs> not do you that. Should not. There you go. So we have found that there were 248 positive commandments in the Torah. Mm -hmm. And by some ancient wisdom, that was the, the exact number of bones in the human body. I think that number has probably changed with some current medical wisdom. <laughs> but, uh, but we like to say there are 248 bones in the body and 248 positive commandments. And there are, if you subtract that from 613, you are left with 365 negative commandments. And that's a really fun number because that's the number of days in the year. That's kind of crazy how that works out. We love yeah. our numbers. So, so what's, the, what's the correlation between bones and commandments? Is like, do you break your bones if you don't like, do your bones get broken? If you I don't, don't think so. I, I'm sure there, there are people who mm -hmm. like interpreted that, that the commandments should be in your bones, but uh, I, I've, I've read nothing on that because I'm. Do the commandments with every bone of your body? Yes, <laughs> yes, 100%, 100%. Um, but a more fun than positive and negative commandments, uh -huh. I like to look at this other division that we have between different types of commandments. Mm -hmm. We have the chukim or the, the Singular for that is a chok, the Hebrew word for one kind of commandment, and the mishpatim. Mishpat means judgment, and um, 
Mishpatim are things that make sense, like don't kill, don't mm -hmm. steal, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. return property to its proper owner. Right. Mm -hmm. So makes those sense. are Mishpatim. Those are like logical rules. These make sense in a civilized society. They are moral, they're ethical. Mm -hmm. But we have other rules that are these chukim, which I like to call them because God said so rules. Mm. They make no sense. Things like keeping kosher. Mm. Why can you eat some animals and not eat other animals? And why, I love this one. Do you guys know about the commandment? Not to wear a garment that is woven from a fabric that has both wool and linen in it. Yeah. That is a commandment. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. mix your fabrics. That's right. Fabrics. I never wear linen yeah. just to be safe. <laughs> That is exactly. <laughs> well, you don't do linen in the summer and wool in the winter. Mm, no. I almost linen bought wrinkles. this beautiful Irish sweater from this Irish import shop, and mm. I just sort of look at what things are made of. Never ran into this before, and I was like, wool, linen. Oh, you just saved me $200. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe that's the why. Save us money. <laughs> I think it had to do with shrinkage rates, actually. Mm. There probably was a right? practical reason to begin I, with, yes. right? I think yes. so. I think wool yes. and linen, when you wash them, if you've woven them into the same fabric, probably right. shrink at yeah. different rates, and nobody's really thought about that. Yeah. But um, it's not for me to say. The rabbis say it's just because God said so. Mm. Okay. So yeah. um, I don't know. I find that in... Can I just interject one please. thing? So like I find in Catholicism, you know, there are a lot of rubrics, a lot of rules, especially with the liturgy about how to do the liturgy. And there's this one thing, um, you know, when you have the chalice, mm -hmm. right, with the mm -hmm. with the, the wine in it, and the priest, may I borrow your notes? Please do. The priest has this cardboard thing, it's called a paten. And he would place it on at certain times and take it off at certain times. And it's very important when you put the paten on and when you take the paten off. Mm -hmm. And it's very ritualized. And then when there's a deacon, like which, like an assistant priest helping, you know, he gets to do it and, and so forth and take it off. And can it's you all ritualized. Can but you explain what, what, a, what a situation or a liturgical moment that it would be covered versus uncovered? Because I'm so curious about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am, because we have rituals also where we're reading from the Torah, and it's uncovered for certain things, yep. and it's covered for certain things, mm. and it's when we're very ritual about it. So it's covered um, during most of the, the part of the Mass where you celebrate communion. It becomes uncovered when the priest says the words of blessing or consecration over it, and then it's covered again. But the so you may wonder why where did all this come from? This piece of cardboard, right? Mm -hmm. It it was to keep flies out. <laughs> I'm sure of that. We so, do that with a napkin over the over the kiddush cup, like the wine. We do that, we throw a napkin over it for the service because we're gonna. Yeah. You don't get flies, do you? <laughs> never, never. <laughs> That's no flies in a Protestant church. Now, are these rules? Or are they customs that have sort of become rules? Well, well that's a like, rubric. That's a liturgical rubric. And okay. um, mm -hmm. it's written in the book in wow. the red print, right? Yeah. So that means it's important. It's but I didn't mean to derail you. You were no. saying that like that's, linen and wool. That's not derailing me at all. I'm done with the linen and wool thing. <laughs> well, it's, so to your point, though, I think, you know, we see a lot of these rules. You know, you're breaking them to some that make sense and some because God said so. And, you know, why do we cover this? At some point... I would guess they all made sense, right? You know, remember however many hundreds of years ago these rules were written, of yeah. course they made sense. And, you know, I asked the why question, and to me, a lot of these rules were, you know, a group of people that were trying to be together in community, trying to live together, trying to figure out life together. Of course you need rules, right? Otherwise chaos ensues, right? So God is trying to help these people be in community together, one, and 
trying to help them honor God too, you know, moving from a tradition with, you know, lots of gods to, I am the one God, here are some rules to help you do that. So if you think about the why and the history behind it, these rules make sense at the time. They're great. So for me, you know, now living in the year 2023, for me as a pastor, it's trying to sort through sort of what are the rules that continue to make sense in being right. community together and honoring God right. together. And what are the rules like blended fabrics that maybe in this day and age eh, don't make so much sense anymore. Right. So, yeah. so that's the journey for me is yes, the rules are important. And yeah, we live in a different time now. Right. There is a tension. Yeah. That, and I think the tension actually makes our spiritual lives interesting. Mm-hmm. So keeping kosher um, and that wool and linen thing, like I don't feel like I believe that, mm-hmm. but it was an interesting thing that I right. saw it. That you noticed it. And yeah. didn't buy it. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think I didn't buy it because I believed that I need to keep that law, but it it was a weird, like visceral, like, oh, I can't do that at a visceral level. Guilt? Was it guilt? Perhaps, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> guilt about breaking the rules. Huh. Or just, but not like I think if I owned it and said, you know what, I'm going to do this because yeah. for instance, keeping kosher, there are a lot of rules that maybe made sense, you know, clean and unclean animals. And maybe they really believed, you know, like bottom feeding fish and shellfish maybe were considered a little growth, like an ew factor. Yeah. And you don't want your community and, getting sick. Right. Sure. And, and yeah. then the fact that that pork is not kosher. I mean, the kosher animals, non-kosher animals don't, they divide under really like those animals that have land animals that have split hooves and chew their cuds are kosher and they can have one or the other, but if they don't have both, they're not kosher. Hmm. Um, Giraffes are kosher, but their necks are so long, you couldn't slaughter it in a kosher way. Nor would you want to kill a giraffe, but they're actually a kosher animal. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah. There's a practical consideration. Um, and with sea, with things that come from the water, it has to have fins and scales, not one or the other, but both. And if it has fins and no scales or scales and no fins, it's not kosher. Wow. Um, but with pigs, it's interesting that we discovered later that pigs are genetically so close to humans. So intelligent. So intelligent and genetically really close to humans. And the parasites that make them sick make us sick. So mm. we talk oh, wow. about um, because they are so close to us, um, it's actually safer not to eat them. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. But uh, and then wine, kosher wine, that was totally to keep the community together and to keep there you go. community to based keep role. you from yeah. accidentally pouring a wine libation to a foreign god, which was the worst sin you could possibly commit. 4,000 years now, ago. What does that mean, pouring a wine libation? I have just, no idea, but the Canaanites, you know, worshipped Baal. And you there pour were, out wine? I that? think they would drink wine and pour wine on an altar. And if you were socializing with your non-Israelite friends 4,000 years ago, and you were drinking wine with them, and they might be saying in a foreign language or something, yeah. you know, to Baal, and then you drink to Baal, and you've just literally worshipped a foreign god, which is mm. the worst sin you could commit. So to That's keep, number one in the rule book. Correct. Right? <laughs> I am God. You shall have, have no, no other. other gods before me. <laughs> Ten commandments right there. <laughs> right there. Um, so I think the whole kosher wine thing has gone a little too far. So conservative yeah. Jews, and I'm part of the conservative movement, many of us, I'd say, I'm just going to ballpark us, 75% of us totally drink non-kosher wine. We go to the local wineries in mm-hmm. Napa, you go to the local wineries in Sonoma and Napa, and drink all the wine. Yeah. Oh. So <laughs> you have 613 rules. <laughs> We've already discussed some of them make sense, some of them perhaps not. 
So how do you know which ones to follow, right? How do you know which ones are important? Um, you now I think we from the Christian tradition probably have an answer that involves Jesus, but I'm curious in your tradition, you know, how is it the 245 split versus the 365 split or so positive and negative. Know? I mean, positive and negative commandments are both equally important. important. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, just like there's the, you do these the things. Do's and you don't, the do's and the don'ts. The do's okay. and the don'ts. Yeah. And mishpatim and chukim, you know, things that make sense from an ethical, moral, and just common sense mm -hmm. versus this is a ridiculous thing, but God said to do it, so I'll do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, I come from a, a more liberal movement, not yeah. the most liberal movement, but certainly a more... I come from a movement that that really struggles with the tension mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. if you are a very orthodox or in any of the sort of more fundamentalist and more orthodox and orthoprax movements, you truly and deeply and literally believe that God commanded you to do all of these things. They're all equally important and you should do them all. Hmm. And you should do as, and, and with the recognition that not everybody can do everything, but you do your best every day to do to all do of it. them. Yeah. And if you know that there's a commandment, if you know of it, you should observe it. Because if you know it's a commandment and you don't observe it, then you're kind of defying it with the knowledge that everybody's human, but mm -hmm. we all make that effort. Mm -hmm. The reform movement, which is a wonderful movement of Judaism, has taken the complete opposite approach where we're you know, culturally Jewish. I don't want to speak for the reform movement and, and sum them up wrong, um, but the rules are sort of optional. Uh, oh, the, the phone calls are coming, I can do it. <laughs> right. Um, and so you should, you should have brought Alana in for this one. And, um, and, and there are so many Reformed Jews who truly believe that the rules are wonderful and meaningful ways to express Judaism. Right. And I come from the conservative movement that struggles with this tension between wanting to honor our tradition yeah. and, and wanting to live in the modern world and, and think logically mm. and, and mm -hmm. in an informed way and, mm -hmm. and just be in the world in a meaningful way. Sure. And so we do, we struggle with the tension. And so I don't, for, my, for myself and my movement personally, I don't really have an answer because we, we struggle we with struggle, the tension. Sure. Yeah. We struggle with the tension. I think that is yeah. an answer. And there is. So, you know, <laughs> tension we, is good. And the rabbis have come up with official ways of, of dealing with that tension. So for instance, all of the limits of things you cannot do on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. which are classes of classes of activity. I don't like to say work because I work on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My work is, you know, but classes, there are 39 classes of activities that are forbidden on the Sabbath. Um, and just, just for our viewers who may not understand the basic rule, which is about the Sabbath, what is that? Um, the Sabbath is a day of rest and right. you shouldn't do anything creative that affects the world around you in a permanent way. Right. So which will colloquially so, call work, right? Yeah. So the question is what constitutes work, work on a Sabbath, right? So work on the Sabbath is a, within a class of activities that at, you know, 4,000, 3,500 years ago was activities that had to do with building the tabernacle in the, in the wilderness, in the desert, while the Israelites were wandering in the desert and before they entered the land of Israel. Um, so it was things like planting seeds, watering plants, uh, cutting something, writing on something, erasing yeah. something, yeah. separating things, tearing things, you know, hammering a nail. I, I don't think that's actually one of the classes, but there are 39 classes of activities wow. that have then later, you know, 2000 years later, were interpreted by a bunch of rabbis. Mm -hmm. So you can't light a fire. And so when the, you know, combustion engine came around, you can't also 
like travel outside of four walls, but people lived in walled cities. So you could like, you couldn't carry, I couldn't carry my glasses outside my house to go to synagogue unless there's a wall around my city. Like that's Whoa. actually, that's actually huh. one of the things. Huh. Um, so that when I grew gracious. up, we, we wore our keys to our houses around our necks, which also was considered carrying. That was actually a violation. And if you go to the most fundamentalist in like Brooklyn, New York, you can go to a jeweler and get your key made into a brooch. And you can wear it as a piece of jewelry and then use it. And you haven't carried it. You've worn it as a piece of jewelry. Wow. It's like they're very, there's very extreme stuff. Wow. So there's the rules and then there's the interpretations of the rules. And then there's rabbis who differ in their interpretations right. of the rules. So you, and rabbis have yeah. what they call built fences around the rules. So for instance, uh, I can't write on the Sabbath. So I can't do this, but I also can't touch the pen. That's called building a fence around the rules. The pen is considered something we call muktzah. I don't even I'm know. Send you an email this Saturday. Is that considered right? And and I won't and I will not be able to read your email because I'm not turning on my computer. That's but cool. when the combustion engine happened, driving. But then we live in a modern world where you don't live in the little walled city sure, yeah. and you walk to your synagogue. You might actually have to drive to your synagogue. synagogue. So the conservative rabbis decided that you could drive, but only to synagogue on the Sabbath. You could not drive for any other purpose other than going to the hospital for an emergency mm -hmm. and going to synagogue. And what if were, the donut store is on the way home? Oh man, but you can't you can't conduct business. Oh. But if you're in no Israel, donuts. but if you're in Israel, they are. It wouldn't many, be a church without donuts. <laughs> That's so true. But many kosher restaurants have like accounts set up, so you can like go to a kosher restaurant that's employing only non-Jews on the Sabbath because the Jews can't work on the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And um, and you've already got an account there and they just figure it out and you pay them later or you pay them in advance. So like this is starting to feel a little bit like 21 questions to Naomi, but, yeah, 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 yeah. but no, yeah. but I have more. I have more but questions. But now I'm monopolizing the conversation. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want to monopolize so, the conversation. <laughs> so Sabbath is important to Christians and Jews. Absolutely. Um, but when I think of the Sabbath, I think of it, yes, as a day of rest, as a day for no work, whatever work means, right? Also as a day to honor God, right? To glory in the blessings of God that surround us, right? So when I hear all of that, when I hear, this is work, I can't do this, I can't do this, this is work, I, all like that starts to stress me out, right? Yeah. And so I just, I wonder, and this is my question, like, do you feel sort of that that rest, the blessing of Sabbath? Oh, or are you question. just totally worried about what I can and cannot do? I am excited to answer this question, and I'm going to answer it on one condition. Yes. You guys do more talking after this, okay? <laughs> okay. You're so fascinating. Bring it on. Oh this, isn't this fascinating? Oh, my God. Okay, so, yes, the Jews have traditionally gotten really wrapped up in rules. But yes. I was raised in a community that observed that level of Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And I didn't appreciate it until I stopped observing it. Mm. So um, what's interesting is I lived in a what we call a walking community. And they didn't have, like, we weren't allowed to carry because we didn't have, like, an artificial border around our town. They do that now. They have our, mm -hmm. where they string wires or they use natural borders and they define them as this is our community and you can carry it. And that's a wall. It. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And and, uh, and there's somebody, my, my brother-in-law used to get on his rollerblades and check to make sure it was all intact before on Friday afternoons. Wow. It was like his job at the synagogue. Huh. Um, but um, a lot of this stuff actually is, you know, explaining it to somebody who's not been indoctrinated and not lived with it, mm -hmm. it sounds very overwhelming. Yes. And the laws of kashrut, keeping kosher, are equally overwhelming right. to, yeah. to a person who's sort of the uninitiated. But actually when you're raised with it, it becomes second nature. Hmm. And it it is lovely. Like 
you don't even, you can't even turn on and off a light. So you set your lights on timers, you know when you're get, like when it's going to sort of start to get dusky and you set the lights to go on in your house so you can like read books, hang out and and then go off on Friday night like at 11 because you might come home or after dinner hmm. want to lie in bed and read a book or hang out with your friends or whatever. And then by 11 o'clock, the lights go out, you go to sleep hmm. and you take walks and you, we weren't allowed to do schoolwork unless it was just reading, but you read books, you hang out with your friends, you eat a lot, you've cooked in advance so there's no food preparation going on. It's just all sort of cold cuts and cold chicken and whatever and mm -hmm. salads. Um, but you're connecting with people mm -hmm. at a level mm -hmm. that you totally can't connect in the modern world. It's kind of amazing hmm. and I didn't appreciate it until oh, wow. after I stopped observing that at that level. Hmm. And now I live a lifestyle where I don't live in a walking community because you really have to be orthodox to live that lifestyle yeah. because all of your friends have to be doing the same thing or you'll be isolated. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. But if you live in a community like that, it's actually amazing. Hmm. It's the most restful and most restful thing. And it is about connecting with God and it's about connecting with the divine in Every, in your people. Mm. So I, we love to joke about the double mitzvah on a Shabbat. It is how I told You've told us this one. <laughs> the, I know it's coming. The double mitzvah. <laughs> um, physical intimacy with an appropriate partner is actually, you get double points for the mitzvah. Wow. Double points on Shabbat. I guess my bank account is empty. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a good segue to talk about some of the Christian view on these rules. Um, because let's not forget the, the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew scriptures, you know, all of what you have just been talking about is oops, still a part of the Christian tradition. So all of those rules still a part of our tradition, all of them. And then we also have the Christian scriptures, right? Where Jesus comes and Jesus actually talks a lot about all of those rules because he was following, you know, he was yeah, a, yeah. a Jew who was following them. Um, and so we now have this like sort of double interpretation, right? Of, you know, trying to figure out what these Hebrew scriptures mean to us as, as you do as well. And sort of how do Jesus teachings affect how we think about all those rules? So it's like, and, <laughs> and, 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 and that's it for our episode today. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so what did, is it what Jesus said or is it what his disciples and their descendants? Well, Jesus said, I, I, I came to, uh, not to abolish the law. Mm -hmm. Yes, but to fulfill to it, fulfill it yeah. and so you know what does that mean, right? He yeah. means he he fulfills it perfectly in himself, mm -hmm. and so the law has not been abolished; it is fulfilled in himself. And yet, at the same time, we don't obey. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't we don't uh, obey the the laws in the Old Testament. And technically, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like even the Ten Commandments are. Uh, are not binding, so to speak, on us, because Paul says that as a Christian, with the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, we are uh, free. And that means that we're guided by the Spirit, and we don't have to remember, oh, you have this law, or you have this law, because we're guided by the Spirit who comes from Christ, and the law mm -hmm. is fulfilled in Him. I don't know if I said that right. I think that was beautiful. And, that, and of course, it's aspirational. <laughs> no, well, but I, you know what I love about that? If I'm understanding what you said correctly, um, you're basically saying Jesus represented an ethical ideal. 
and yeah. a, a moral, ethical, a way to be with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you are truly following Jesus, then all of the commandments that make sense about exactly. the, the, another way to divide the commandments is between man and God and between man and other man. Um, and man and his yeah. and his fellow, um, and Jesus was all about, I think, mm-hmm. those commandments between man and his fellow, mm-hmm. and because they make sense from an ethical, a deep ethical moral, that if you are guided by those principles, then you are going to obey those commandments. It's like right? it, it, it's supposed to be, Bingo. and I and I say Woo. supposed, but to you be, have free will. It's supposed <laughs> to be second nature, right? Yeah. Like you said, rather, and the motivation changes. Rather than obeying the, the, and I don't mean this to be insulting in any way, but I mean, this is aspirational yep. that rather than the motivation being, oh, I'm doing this or not doing it because that's the rule. Right. I'm doing this mm-hmm. or not doing that because I, I really truly desire mm-hmm. that's to a do greater, that or That's not a greater that. level to do it. However, what happened very early in the church is Paul had to start one of the great saints, St. Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, had to write, I forget what letter it's in, I think it's Corinthians, had to write to this community who then said, oh, hey, we have all this freedom now. We can do whatever we want. So there was a lot of sexual, you know, liberty teen behavior going on and Paul had to write and go, wait, 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 guys, isn't quite what Jesus meant. So it's aspirational and we're always trying to grow in the spirit, right? And Paul says, if you walk by the spirit, then you don't walk by the flesh, mm-hmm. meaning and not that body, not that body and soul are different mm-hmm. and one is better than the other, but rather what he means by flesh is by, by the world, you know, mm-hmm. by uh, sort of worldly standards, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But you're walking by the spirit who guides you into all good. Yes. That's beautiful. And that is, well, that's aspirational. That's like one of the best ways I've ever heard this explained. It's truly beautiful. Wonderful. Would you tell my archbishop that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, but when we think of, when I, oh, sorry, you were going to say more. Go. I was just going to, but say, having said that, I want to introduce the Catholic rule books. Can I do that? I would, would love right? for you okay, to introduce so the Catholic rule books. books. Let me get my glasses This is on. the rule books. No, they're, they're so big, you aren't going to hit your glasses. No, I think um, the words are going to be small. I think the letters are going to be super small in there. I brought these as props. But I have a vision of how small. Yep, that was right. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of words in yeah, there. A lot of words in here. And this is the this is the code of canon law, which Holy is like the Lord. law of the church. And if you Whoa, look, those are tiny, tiny words. You have definitely glasses. How many, for you oh, see, I need a magnifying glass. I mean, <laughs> can you see how many um, like canons there? There's like eighteen hundred. Can you just like that's like give four times an example? Times. Yeah, give us an three example. Three times three hundred sixty, mm. uh, or like six hundred thirteen. You can page. just summarize. You apparently just have summarize annotated one. this. So now I'm the page with all your writing on it. <laughs> the problem is, oh, oh, the highlighting. <laughs> <laughs> um, the essential properties of marriage are unity and indissolubility, which in Christian marriage obtain a special. Keep my glasses. Firmness by reason of the sacrament. Okay. So this one's talking about marriage. What is marriage all about? It's about unity and indissolubility. So, anyway. so, so tell me. So. And then, can you just see this? Yeah. This is the catechism of the Catholic Church. I have so many questions. Church. I just want to, I want you to read this So to this me. is sort of the canon law that guides like the bishops and the priests. Who and, wrote this? Yeah, that was one of my questions. Uh, uh, well, uh, uh, the first 
or who compiled well, it? It, it, or used to be, it used to be various collections in the Middle Ages, and then there was a dude, I forget his a name, dude. and when it happened, but he brought them all together. Probably a saint. And then ever since then, it's been developed over time. This and dude. really, it's the Pope who is the supreme lawgiver. Okay, was this dude a saint? Yes, I, yeah. think so. I just can't remember who it is. <laughs> That's okay. This is the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which has all the theology. Whoa. Okay. Oh, okay. I kind of so want to read that. So, we don't want to read this. So we have the scriptures. I thought we'd start from the first page and just <laughs> go right through. So we have the scriptures, right? Which yeah. have all these rules, laws in them. And so is this, the code of canon law, based on the scriptures? Like you read us a little nugget about marriage there, right? So is it sort of like taking, say, what Jesus says about marriage yeah, exactly. and then explaining it more? Is that sort of yeah. what's going it's, on There's here? always the, the scripture or the or the tradition of the church, which is something, of course, we yeah. disagree about. We can talk about it in another episode. But, oh, good. Uh, yes. Another it, episode. Maybe then I'll keep my mouth shut and you guys can do all the <laughs> no, talking. You have said so many that. fascinating things. Yeah, okay, but carry scripture on. and tradition, but whatever. Yes, but it's all rooted in scripture somehow. So what I just read about the indissolubility and the unity of marriage, Jesus said, you know, um, God created them. Uh, and when they come together in marriage, a man shall leave his remember the quote of um, mother mother and I know uh, what you're talking to his wife, to his wife. And, you, and no you, no, no man <laughs> no one may put that asunder right so that's the indissolubility so mm -hmm. anyway yeah so theoretically they all come out of it and it's like I think you said it it's like the religious leaders take all of that that's in the scripture all of that that's in the tradition of the church over the mm -hmm. thousands of years mm -hmm. and try to guide people with with giving them guide through through rules mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but the problem is is that we start seeing religion as rules rather than love and Jesus right. all, that was oh. his that was his one yeah. and only rule right absolutely yeah. love god love yes. neighbor that's yes. it that was it yep so we've been talking about there's so many rules in the bible right to me this just makes more rules like <laughs> like so, so like why do you need this if you have the scriptures right why do you also need the very thick book with even more rules? Because let's take that thing on the indissolubility of marriage, mm -hmm. right? Uh, there, somewhere in the 2000 year history of the church, there's been a problem with marriage and probably in a very public way. Let's see, who was that, Henry VIII? <laughs> oh. And people started fighting about it, right? It's like, uh -huh. wait a minute. Can you get divorced? Can you not get divorced? What are the, and we'll have another episode on that. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're just racking up the future episodes. Um, uh, you know, and so some, it's like the rabbis, the interpretations right. happen not because some rabbi gets up in the morning and goes, you know, I think I'm going to go to, uh, you know, that rule number blank, 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 and give my interpretation. It comes out of conflict, right? right. Conflict in the community right. Something where people is disagree. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Hmm. So does this get updated? Where's your rule book? Oh, I'll talk about that in a that second. That was literally does my it, next question. Does this yes. get updated and changed? Oh, yes. So okay. this one was all sort of revised in 1983, and the one mm -hmm. before that was 1917. Okay. And then That's I don't amazing. know the ones before that. That's amazing. So, so there is constant interpretation, generally yes. by the Pope himself or by high-level... Yeah. So there's whole there's a whole occupation within the church called canon lawyer. Being a canon lawyer, you can become oh, a canon lawyer, my God. and um, where you study these things and you issue opinions when conflicts come up. There's a whole department in the archdiocese. The archdiocese is the each territorial unit that's governed by a bishop. Over you know it's all territorial. The archdiocese is sort of the bishop's headquarters and his staff and all of that. And um, 
so there are canon lawyers. There's a department called the tribunal that uh, actually helps resolve these conflicts and things like that. Wow. That's amazing. That leads to the evolution of the law. We actually have that in the conservative movement as well. So, but it's not like a department, but it is. It's I, a committee, it's not a department. <laughs> I, I think we're not doing the best job of being convincing that religion is about so much more than rules. <laughs> yes, we're not, are we? Let's put oh the book goodness. away. Put the book away. Put the rules away, man. Because I think that is something which all three of us agree on, is right. that, yes, we have rules. Yes, they are important. And, you know, our faith are, is so much more than following mm -hmm. rules. That's right. Right? Yes. Okay. Just wanted to put that out there. Well, the Jewish tradition <laughs> has this wonderful perspective that humans are much higher level than angels because we have mm -hmm. free will and angels do not have free will. Mm -hmm. Angels oh. literally by their nature must do the right thing and mm -hmm. humans have a choice. So when we choose correctly, it's obviously that much more special. Well, we will have an episode on angels, but the Catholic view is different that angels do have free will, mm. but that oh, really? human nature has been exalted above the angels because Christ was fully human and fully divine. And so becoming the incarnation when became human mm -hmm. and then raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. So now human nature has been placed above. But anyway. Wow, oh, that's angels. very cool. But So there's a different understanding of free will and angels. Sneak yeah. peek for a future episode. Wow, <laughs> good. And you'll have much more talking to do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, but free will kind of puts us in a higher level and sorry, there, there's a story, there's a Talmudic story about mm -hmm. a Roman, I think, a, Ro what? a Roman soldier maybe who came to the house of Shammai. There were two rabbis who interpreted a lot of laws, Hillel and Shammai. Yeah. And, um, and they always, almost always disagreed. And our tradition tends to favor the views of Hillel. Um, and there's this like great story about this Roman soldier who went, who like knocked on Shammai's door and said, tell me the entire Torah standing on one foot and I'll convert to Judaism. And Shammai, <laughs> okay. who wasn't known to be like the nicest guy, took a two by four and drove him out, just drove him out of his house and said, nope. Hmm. So the guy knocked on Hillel's door and said, tell me the entire Torah standing on one foot and I will become Jewish, I will convert. And Hillel stood on one foot and said, oddly, not love your neighbor as yourself, which is, but the, the negative of that, don't do to another what you would find hurtful or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and- uh, The inverse of the golden the, rule. The, the in, right. What has mm -hmm. become the golden rule, mm -hmm. yeah. And the guy, you know, said, okay. Oh, and he said, the rest is, the rest is commentary. Mm. Go and That's learn right. it. That's there right. you go. The rest That's is commentary. Right. Go and learn it. Yes. And he did. Yes. He converted and spent his entire life studying Judaism and Jewish law. Yeah. But the fact that all Jewish law, you know, in our tradition boils down to love your neighbor as yourself. Don't do to other people what you don't want done to yourself. Yep. And if you do that and everything else is just supporting material for that. Amen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for keeping us on track. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I just I don't want to lose sight of that because yes, that is what is important. Not getting bogged down in 
613 rules or a huge book. That's a big book. That's a big book. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I want to make sure you wanted to tell a story about a red heifer. Oh, no. I'm dying for this. This this falls in the category of crazy rituals, right? Yeah, but now we're going back to rules. And maybe we'll finish up on this. Oh, no, are you kidding? Now I've spent the entire time talking. No. (laughs) Do the red heifer. You gotta do the the red heifer. Let's talk about Lent. Let's talk about Lent. <laughs> what do you want to know about Lent? Anything. <laughs> the Catholics have a lot more rules around Lent than the Protestants do. Yeah. yeah. Give up chocolate for Lent. Oh, but it's not chocolate. <laughs> what are the Lenten rules? Actually, there aren't that many. Um, you are, there's two days in during the, the Lent. Lent is a six week. Um, yes, period of time right background. before Easter mm-hmm. that um, Christians get ready for to celebrate Easter and it's sort of a period of repentance and kind of getting more serious about faith, maybe turning back to God. And it's often about doing something... Right after Easter? Before, no, before. Easter. Oh, before, before Easter. Easter. Oh, okay. And it's about um, kind of getting back to God by kind of... The tradition has been to, to kind of deny yourself something like fasting, maybe deny mm-hmm. some food or mm-hmm. or something else. Kids give up chocolate. Yeah. Some adults give up alcohol or whatever. The idea is to kind of you give up something that you love to to kind of turn your brain back to God, because when you're like, oh, I miss that, you know, it's like, but I'm giving it to you, God, as a sacrifice right? Oh, I love that. to get ready for Easter. And more recently, people have added things. Um, to Lent, like I, I'm going to pray more, I'm mm-hmm. going to give to charity more than I normally mm-hmm. do, or mm-hmm. or that kind of thing. Um, so personally, I give up sex during Lent, and you're um, hilarious, <laughs> as well as every other day of the year. But um, we'll talk about that in another episode. Wow, we've got so many episodes <laughs> we have to so film. Many. Are you taking notes? No, I'm not. So that's that's the deal with Lent, and then the church, you know, just to help guide people, like people and they go, I don't, not sure what to do, has sort of put some uh, boundaries around it and said, you know, two days out of that period on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, we're going to ask you the whole world, the whole Catholic world to fast on that day, just those two days, and then Fridays in Lent to abstain from meat. And it's just, it was just a way of getting the community to be together in some small, relatively small observance of giving up something to kind of turn us back to God. Mm-hmm. So, I love that. But again, it's a rule mm-hmm. that you can say, oh, that rule. Like, and I do that every Ash Wednesday. It's like, oh, God, I'm, I'm hungry. I hate fasting. <laughs> but you can say that. You can take that attitude or you can say, you know, I appreciate the church like guiding me. Like this is something I can do. And But you have to have the right spirit about the rule. That's yeah. the thing. Well, and I appreciate that you started that explanation by explaining Lent and what it's about and why it's important to us as Christians, you know, and I think that's why I started this episode by saying, you know, why are these rules, you know, because that's, I think, when the rules are meaningful and important is when we know sort of why we're doing them, you know, why they exist, you know, so we have these rules in Lent, although Protestant ones are different from Catholics, but um, because we're trying to, you know, bring ourselves closer to God, right? Uh, Another thought about Lent is that, you know, we're sort of mirroring Jesus' time in the wilderness at the very Mm -hmm. beginning of his ministry. Mm -hmm. And he went without a lot during that time. And so, you know, we do the same thing. So, you know, there's, there's, there's reason, there's logic behind it. And I think when we understand that, you know, then some of the, these weird rules start to make more sense. Yep. Yeah. 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 
So, oh, do you really love God, you, love yourself? Is, does the red heifer make sense? No, the red heifer makes no sense. <laughs> no I'm sense dying for this story. Oh, you have to what tell story? it because we've talked about okay. it now multiple times. Okay, the red heifer. So in the Torah, there is um, there are you know lots of rules of the priests and 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 rituals around purification. And in the Torah, it says that certain kinds of very common impurities. You know, and you have to be, you know, ritually pure to make offerings at the temple. And you have to, if you're a priest, you have to be ritually pure for everything. Um, and there's this rule that you need a one-year-old red heifer. And it has to be perfectly red. And they're very specific, the rabbis at least, maybe in the Torah, very specific that it can't have no more than like three white hairs on, like it has to be checked. Every hair of this cow wow. has to be checked and all Who but like that? more three can be, have to be red. And then what you do is you sacrifice this cow and you burn it to, to complete ash. And the ashes from this red heifer were used in purification rituals. In the history of the Jewish people, there have been nine red heifers known. Wow. That have been recorded. That's a problem. Never another one. <laughs> That's a problem. And yes, I, the story you wanted me to tell is that, yeah, about 10 years ago, there was this farmer in New Jersey who had a heifer that met all of the qualifications. And there were a lot of very fundamentalist Jews in Israel who were offering him millions for this cow. And he would not sell his cow. They wanted that cow because it met the it met the qualifications. And no one came in and stole it at night. Nobody stole it because, you know, commandments. But who has the job of checking every hair? Yeah. The... I don't know. So some rules know. make sense and help us love God and love our neighbor, and some rules just are a good story to tell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that story. <laughs> Did you want to talk about the Episcopal slap? Oh, well, since we're talking about crazy rituals, it's not yes. quite as crazy as the red heifer, no offense. A but slap sounds Yeah, hard. the Episcopal slap. So uh, this is an old tradition going back a thousand years, I think. I don't know when it actually started, but when teenagers are confirmed, you know, it's a, it's a sacrament, uh, uh, you know, like baptism is a sacrament. And so later in their life, uh, they're confirmed, which is a, it's a confirmation is a, is a sacrament that, pours out a greater share of the Holy Spirit. It completes their, their reception of the Holy Spirit from baptism. And the, only the bishop can celebrate confirmation, which gives me very, it makes me very upset because I've always wanted to do the Episcopal slap. Mm -hmm. When he takes the oil <laughs> and he puts the oil on their forehead, he says, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he shakes the, the kid's hand and then he slaps them on the cheek. Like, how many of you wanted to slap teenagers? I mean, it's not like you want to slap I've your never teenager. Wanted, never, <laughs> never. Never. I mean, what wait, better job wait, could wait, there wait. be? Are you, for real? This is a real yes. story. Yes, yes. But today, if a bishop does it, it's more like an Episcopal tap. But it's the idea was, but it sounds crazy, right? Why would you slap it? It's to wake them up. Hey, oh, you're an adult now in the Catholic Church. You have to take your place as an adult and fulfill your responsibilities as a religious person, meaning doing good for the world. That actually makes a lot of sense, including the slap. Well, no, yeah. no. Well, I'm try it on your I'm not a fan of slapping <laughs> there anybody. There are lots much of ways kids. to wake people up. <laughs> <laughs> tell you, a slap. The Episcopal cold water in the face. 
I could try that, but then the oil would be washed. But out. note, now what you've said, it's become an Episcopal tap. Like, you know, that, I mean, that's a good example of how things evolve, right? The you Episcopal know? hug, that's next. Well, there would be lawsuits today. Right. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. And r rules, traditions, rituals, whatever they might be from a thousand years ago, often just are more than a thousand, often just don't make sense today. And so, yeah. you know. That's my crazy ritual. Right. I love that crazy ritual. Do you have a crazy ritual? I do not. Um, <laughs> Presbyterians aren't crazy. Oh, no. <laughs> do you have... We like things to be good and in order in the Presbyterian <laughs> church. <laughs> do you have, like, something ritual that's just really beautiful and embodies the meaning mm. that, that a lot of our rituals were meant to embody, but it's turned into something... Sort of ritual and just huh? That's it. Well, you know, I just as you talked about a sacrament. You know, I go to our sacraments. We in the Protestant Church only have two: baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, and we do the Lord's Supper once a month, communion. How often do you do it? Every day. Every day. See that once a month. <laughs> <laughs> but because it's only once a month, that makes it very important, very special, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's. That's one thing that's meaningful to me because of the themes we've been talking about, right? And the, the and actually that's a good episode too. Although I don't know if you'd have much to say. You I will have questions. Over. But I'll have questions. Um, how one celebrates the Lord's Supper is very different in the Catholic Church versus the I Protestant. I want to be there. <laughs> that can totally be an episode because I'll, I've never heard of this, and I will have questions. And so, from a Protestant perspective, <laughs> that ritual is super important to me because of the community aspect, right? Do you a know? lot of people show up for it? Yes. Is it on Sunday mornings or is there another time? No, it's a part of our regular Sunday morning worship, but just once a month. But, you know, we start out communion in our church by welcoming people and inviting people, right? You know, everyone is welcome here at the table. You know, Jesus made sure that, you know, even the person who was about to betray him ate with him. Um, so come. And so it's, it's a ritual that, you know, sort of signifies the importance of being in community together. You know, we're sharing this bread and this cup together. Um, so that's one that's that's very meaningful. How did COVID affect me. that? <sighs> that's a whole other episode. That, yeah, that, how COVID <laughs> how affected COVID the way we worship. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's tough. You know, when we were worshiping online, we would literally take a pause and say, okay, now go get something to eat and something to drink. Um, which and something to eat, like this is transubstantiation type of thing. Like this is taking communion. Well, so, like, okay. go get some bread from your cabinet, and that is <laughs> so. Like, so again, a difference between. I think so, I'm going to pass out. We're, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're, we're getting to a different episode, <laughs> but again, in the Protestant tradition, they are symbols, right? So it is not the actual body. It's not the actual body. It's symbols. So we actually didn't even say it had to be a bread product or a wine or grape juice product. We were literally like, get something to eat and something to drink. And 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 okay. <laughs> sure. And those are going to length. be your communion symbols. <laughs> and, and everyone did it. But it was not the same because we were not sort of there sharing together. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Not the same. Well, so I'm anyway. sorry I upset you. <laughs> no, I'm good. It's just these books are getting really okay, heavy. Uh, <laughs> maybe have we come to the end? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, I got, there, there's so much we could say, so right? But I think we, we've covered the highlights. I think the main yeah. thing, right? The main thing we all want to stress is that, yes, religion has a lot of rules. They're there to guide people. But it's really, at the end of the day, it's all about love. It's supposed to be about love. Yeah. Love God, love other people. And if you remember that... 
and you actually practice that, yeah. you can't go wrong. Yeah. Everything One, else is commentary, it, right? Everything else is commentary. <laughs> go and learn. Amen. 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 That's a wrap. <laughs> Woo! Oh. Oh.